0: Welcome to the Commander-in-Chief Podcast. I'm Yuri Krulman, Founder and CEO of Commander-in-Chief Media Group, award-winning Chief People Officer and Keynote Speaker, author of five books, Fortune 500 Consultant and Corporate Trainer, and contributor to Fast Company, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Newsweek. Our mission at Commander-in-Chief Media is to help 100 billion people around the world in the next 10 years to do their life's best work in the here and now. Through storytelling, educational media, thought leadership, HR consulting, or for training, coaching, speaking, and authentic high-quality writing, helping people become their own commanders-in-chief. Now, if you're interested in being a guest on the Commander-in-Chief podcast, stick around until the end of the show. We will share with you what we're looking for and how to apply.
1: Okay, I am Hillel Fold, friends of Yuri, first of all, most importantly, that's my claim to fame. Um, and uh, I'm from New York originally, uh, live in Israel, where technology is like water. Uh, you know, everybody in this country has a startup, you get into a cab, and you say to the cab driver, how long have you been uh, driving a cab? He says, oh, I have a startup. This is just my side gig. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to work in the tech ecosystem in Israel. I work with uh, many startups, I work with some nonprofits, I work with some banks, I work with some venture capital firms, Um, and that's kind of my, my first hat and my baby, which is helping entrepreneurs scale their business. Uh, my second hat is a whole bunch of content. I write for pretty much every leading tech publication from TechCrunch, The Next Web, VentureBeat, Inc, Entrepreneur, blah, 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 the rest of them. I have a video blog I do on YouTube and I have a podcast that I do obviously everywhere. Um, that's my second hat. My third hat is uh, a lot of public speaking about Israeli tech, about entrepreneurship, about marketing. And the final hat is I work with multinationals. I work with Google. I work with Oracle. I work with, um... Uh, Huawei and a couple of others as a brand ambassador kind of thing. Uh, They all call it something else, but it's the same stuff. And uh, just to sum up all four hats, I'm a kid in a candy store. I meet the most amazing people every day. And I'm super grateful to do what I love and love what I do.
0: Amazing. Hello. Thank you, first of all, for joining us. Really, really appreciate having you on. Um, This is, in a way, um, the maiden podcast for Commander-in-Chief Podcast. And I can't really think of a better person to introduce what we're trying to do here with this podcast Um, Essentially, we've talked about this, um, I just put out a book called Be Your Own Commander-in-Chief in in, in very, very simple terms. It's about four conversations I believe each of us should be having if we're not already. Those four conversations are with our body. So it's around our health, fitness, nutrition, sleep, breathing, that sort of thing. Number two is mental models and uh, life skills, things that we are not taught in school. We have to more or less figure out as adults, good luck to us. Number three is dealing with other people. So that could be in a startup context, could be, you know, interviewing for a job, making a business deal, or it could be, you know, talking to your wife or kids and figuring out how to do that from a place of core values. And number four, it's not a conversation. Um, I think we have much in the public sphere, which is unfortunate. And this is a place where I think what you do and, and the way that you do it is tremendously valuable. And, and it's it's a real Kiddush hashem meaning it's it's something that's that shows... Um, things in a very positive light for, for the Jews. And that's a you know conversation with God or the universe or whatever you want to call that. So again, as part of delving into um, the book, I, I want to kind of get your take on these four things as it relates in particular to fast growth. So the podcast is not just about business, although of course that's important. It's also about personal life, right? How do we pursue and, and achieve fast growth Not just little crumbs here and there, but something really meaningful and significant over a longer period of time through these lenses, through business and through our personal life. So I'm really excited to to get your take on this. But, you know, first of all, I think um, just from my perspective, I mean, um, you know, in in the time that I've known you and your work, and this goes long before we actually met, um, I've really always appreciated how, you know, you're very big on business and you're meeting people and you're telling their story, you're telling your story, how you meet them about the companies that they're building. And that's that's amazing. But just as importantly, you tell, let's say, about the Torah portion of the week on Friday, and you go out of your way to really, you know, bring context to it's not just about tech. You know, this is Israel. There's a lot of amazing stuff going on here. It is the Holy Land, like it or not. So um, in that vein, I would love to just start by hearing a bit of your story. I mean, you know, we have a lot of parallels. You grew up in the States. I grew up in the States. And here we are in Israel, right? So... Um, just to get a sense of how how you got into this. How did you get into startups?
1: So yeah, I grew up in New York. Uh, I moved here to Israel when I was 15. Um, I still remember the first time I turned on a computer. Uh, I was obviously a little kid and it blew my mind. And I knew then and there, there's no way in heck I'm doing anything else with my life besides this. Like I just fell in love with technology. Um, and the truth is, I didn't really know how to get into it because I'm not an engineer. I have a degree in political science, but when I finished my degree, I kind of, had no direction. And someone said to me, you know, you speak English, so you can write in English and you like technology and you like writing. Why don't you become a technical writer? At the time, I didn't know what that was. And for your listeners, just in case anyone does not know what that is, it's the guys who write the user guides you get with your iPhone that no one ever reads. So that was my first job, as you can imagine, that was not optimized for my ADHD. Um and I just started blogging. I'm sitting at my desk one day 15 years ago and I'm like I love tech, I need to do something with this and I just started writing on the internet. I didn't call it a blog because that wasn't even a word. I didn't have any business model. I literally it was a tech diary for myself. But it turns out that content on the internet is quite powerful and so startups started to reach out to me and you know ask for advice and I'm like who am I? Like I crazy imposter syndrome. I'm like you're asking me for advice like you're a CEO of a company. Who am I? But I'm like if you want to meet me, I'll meet you. And so I met these entrepreneurs and it turned out that while they're brilliant at building technology, when it comes to communication, when it comes to business, when it comes to building relationships, when it comes to all the other things, by building a business around that technology, let's just say there was room for improvement. And so I started to help. And again, it wasn't a business for me. I did not They didn't pay me anything. You know, At best, they bought me lunch. But in retrospect, I can tell you that not taking money back then was the best thing I ever did because what I was doing, by the way, without knowing that I was doing it, was that I was establishing the most important asset in business, trust. And they knew that I wasn't selling them anything, so they trusted me. And many companies came back to me sometimes a decade later and said, listen, we know what you did for us. We want to work with you. What are your terms? And at that point, I have the leverage because now they want me, not the other way around. So I built my whole business on, one might say, just being a sucker, just being a nice guy and trying to help as many people as I can and not, not, not taking money from anyone. And um, it's a very, you know... Unconventional business model, or I guess business philosophy, but it works, and so that's how I got into it.
0: Yeah, let's not forget this is in Israel, right? In a nation where everyone is a president, I guess you can say your own, <laughs> everyone's their own commander in chief, and all that great stuff. But also, there's there's this very particular, I guess, very Middle Eastern premise that you know you don't want to be the loser, you don't want to be the friar, right? So imagine doing that in Israel, where it's like, are you crazy? Are you are you insane? You're just setting yourself up, right? So. I really appreciate that because you know I've I've always also tried to take the high road and you know New York in a way prepares you well for Israel because it's also it's very much like that. It's like, hey, you know, you blink and someone runs ahead of you, right? Someone takes you, uh takes advantage of you. So I think I, I tremendously value that approach because it is the long game. It is actually a lot more fulfilling because you're not running after something, you're just doing things the right way, the way you see fit. So I think it's great. And-
1: very- uh, I just want to add one sentence to that because it's really important. A lot of people say to me, you know, oh, yeah, it's good karma. And I say to them, listen, I don't pay for groceries with karma. All right. It's not good karma. It's good business. The The place where karma shows its face is when a company does not come back to me and say to me, you know, we want to work with you. And there have been many, many companies like that. So there I, I write it off as karma. I say, OK, I helped someone. You know, I did good in the universe. But the companies that come back to me and say they want to work with me. They do that because I gave and gave and gave, so it's a good business model. And I want to be very clear about that. It's not, oh yeah, Mother Teresa. No, it's good business to help others win in business. Period.
0: That's that's a great point. That's that's actually something um, I wrote about in the book. It's it's funny because uh, altruism is sometimes incredibly selfish, and self care is actually very altruistic, right? So there's this funny paradigm which I think a lot of people don't don't see things that way that. Even you know you're giving, 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 but it's it can be done in a very thoughtful um, and smart way, not not expecting anything, but also knowing that yeah things do come back if if you know you do things the right way. So building something for the long term requires that requires yeah going out and adding value and, and not just adding value here. Let me send you my stupid ebook or you know let me give you some uh, nonsense advice about something you can Google in two seconds, right? Something that's real. It's almost like Texture. How does business really work? You can go out and you know read read something in a business school. It's not real. It's not really how things work. So when you give that kind of advice, which is texture, it's invaluable. And I think that sticks, and people come back for that because you can't you can't learn that in school. You can't pick it up.
1: You know, it's 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 very funny because um, a lot of a lot of rabbis, specifically Hasidic rabbis, give the following analogy um, about the world that I've adapted to tech or to business. And I say that business is like a candle, right? Because a candle has fire. And when a candle gives its fire to another candle, it loses nothing. It loses nothing. And I think that that's business. You can give to others and not lose anything. And I once told this to a guy named Christoph, who's at IBM Ventures, clearly not Jewish. And I said to him, Christoph, business is like a candle. And he goes to me, I told him my whole analogy and he goes to me, you know what? I'm gonna take it one step further. If you don't give your fire, like a candle, you'll burn out. And I was like, wow, dude, you should be a Hasidic rabbi, man. That was amazing. So, yeah, I, I think it's a great analogy.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. There's another um, another idea which um, I take uh, or borrow, rather, from uh, Dr. Nadia Jackson-Beyer. She wrote um, um, a book all about reinvention. Um, you can look her up. She calls it uh, Chief Reinvention Officer Club, something like that. So, essentially, what I found to be incredible is what is business? Business is operationalizing love. It's like, wait a minute, we're sitting in Israel, like, what are you talking about? Like, everything is so fast, just transaction, transaction. No, it's operationalizing love. And, you know, I'm someone who's in HR, and I'm not in HR originally. It's not like, you know, hey, I was six years old and I always wanted to be an HR officer. Like, come on. (laughs) right so for me i stumbled into hr i had horrendous experiences with hr people treated me like shit from hr and i burned out of a lot of jobs i was also fired several times transparently right so for me fixing hr is is kind of like that's that's my fix for the world but hr in a way is the primary kind of lens through which you can do that if you do it correctly you're not pushing papers uh, uh,
1: i really like that operationalizing love i will i will i'm gonna um Yes, reframe it with one word that I, I like, instead of love, I would call it operationalizing delight, delight. Oh. Let me tell you something. My entire business philosophy in, in, one, in one mathematical equation is as follows. When I focus my time and resources on value creation, now, what does value creation mean? It could mean introducing you to an investor. It could mean getting you press. It could mean whatever. I don't even care, just focusing my time and resources on helping you win. And I don't focus on monetization, meaning you're not paying me a dime. So what happens is, since you're not paying me, you have no expectations because I owe you nothing. And if you have no expectations, every time I deliver, I just exceed expectations. Now, when I exceed expectations over and over and over and over again, what I create is delight. Now, you think about delight, anything that brings you delight in your life, you'd pay for Who wouldn't pay for a good cup of coffee, right? So when a company comes to me with hearts in their eyes, because I've, I've delighted them so many times, now we can talk about money. But I am in the business of delight. That's it.
0: Beautiful. Love this. So in the vein of, of delight, so when when we kind of dive in deep, so for me, again, thinking about fast growth in, in business and in life. So when we talk about fast growth in business, right? You know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, listicles and articles, God knows, every day there are thousands of them, right? And I'm probably as guilty as some others of writing a few of those listicles. But nevertheless, right? So if if we look at a certain inflection point, right? And you know, there's there's a point where it's a startup, and yes, it's you know, hundred-hour weeks, and it's uh, you know, you and your partner, and and you know, you're you're just trying to you got an MVP, you're trying to find some product market fit, you're hoping to just find a few customers, maybe maybe you're just going out and more or less giving your idea and saying, hey, would this help you? And then you build it on the fly. Right. So there's a lot of mythology about, I don't know, how uh, Zuckerberg built this or you know uh, Bill Gates built that or Musk and this and that. We know a lot of it is mythology. But the less glorious stuff is, is looking into, okay, well, what if, if only, let's say, one out of 10 Startups meaning you know early stage, if they're able to get funding, if they're able to do something with that funding to grow to the next level, what happens at that inflection point where a company finds product market fit, finds the first few customers, gets hopefully some kind of you know cash flow, something, some kind of revenue, hopefully recurring. Right. And again, maybe in Silicon Valley, that's not the first priority because you know you just need the MVP and, and hopefully someday that'll monetize. But you know, in the real world, you need, you need to show something. Now, let's say you've shown it, you've gone out to investors, and the investors say, okay, we're happy to give you, I don't know, half a million, one million. Maybe you're, you're gathering a 10 million Series A. Okay, maybe you got your seed round. I don't know. But you're at a point where you, something is working. Whatever that is, something is working. You've convinced someone that what you're doing is valuable. They're willing to maybe be the first tester, maybe to be the, the first paying customer. Great. Okay, so you start hiring a team, and things are moving quickly. Maybe you hire a sales team, and you know you do your business development, and you know you start gaining market share, and everything looks great, right? And then the funding round starts, kind of, you know, your runway goes down, 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 obviously, right? You have more and more costs from people that you've hired, their benefits, payroll, things. Things are a lot more serious. If you think about the personality of someone, especially a first-time founder, right? Someone who's not done this 10 times, built Wix and Fiverr and all that, you're just starting out, maybe you you hit the big fish, right? But what do you do with it? You know, you're someone that doesn't like bureaucracy. You're someone that doesn't want to work in corporate. You started your company because you're this visionary and, you know, let's break stuff and move quickly. So what happens when you're that personality, and now you have to run a company that's a lot more formal. You've got to answer to your investors. You have what's maybe you have one or two fortune, a thousand uh, clients, and you've got to service them and implementation, all this stuff. And suddenly your, your mind just goes, what the hell did I get myself into? And your investors might start thinking like, is this, is this guy really, really ready to run a proper company? So somewhere in there, I don't know if it's between seed round series A, between series A and series B, my my place where usually I come in with HR and HR is not number one or two or ten on the priority list, which I think is set. But nevertheless, right where I come in, it's usually between Series A and B. And the founder is like, okay, I need I need I need some kind of professional managers because I don't want to manage all this stuff. I want to manage vision. I want to you know go out and be the evangelist, okay? Or I'm the product person. So anything, anything but HR. So that point, that, that inflection point, however you want to define it, this is something that I want to ask you. How do you define that inflection point? Something happens and you have to, you have to become more professional. So how, how would you define that inflection point?
1: I mean, I don't know how I define it, but I'll say that when, that when that point occurs, the CEO, and this is something we see all the time, CEO has two options, just two options. Option number one is find a replacement who's scaled the company at this level. Option number two is adapt and learn. Now, option number two sounds scary. Like I've never run a billion dollar company before. You know who else has never run a billion dollar company before? Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs. They started somewhere, you know? So you got to start somewhere. And, you know, no one's born with experience, right? And we know the, the, the famous paradox. You need a job to get experience. You need experience to get a job. You got to start somewhere. And so I'm not a big fan of, okay, we've scaled. Now it's time to replace the CEO. I mean, it didn't work with Apple. We saw that. But you know, I think the CEO needs to grow with the company. As the company's growing, so is the CEO. The CEO doesn't know what he's doing any better than the next guy. And that's another, by the way, that's that's a, a mistake that I see a lot of CEOs making. They look at the, comp- the competitors. They're like, oh, well, they're doing this. We have to do it too. I'm like, dude, they're looking at you just like you're looking at them. They don't know what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. So you're at that point that the company is just hitting scale. Um, I don't know how to define it. I would say Listen, it's definitely not being profitable. I mean, you know, and by the way, I, I, I want to push back on something you said, uh, and it's very controversial and very unpopular opinion. But I actually think that the concept of we don't need to make money right now is, is actually spot on. And I know it sounds funny, like a business that doesn't make money. But, you know, if, if I'm going to oversimplify it, when you're eight years old and you want to build a lemonade stand on your block, you need to go to the supermarket and buy a tablecloth, lemonade, cups, water, you know, a sign, you're spending money and losing money right now. But that's not what you're doing. You're investing in the business, because if you don't invest in growth, you'll never reach profitability. And so the whole like, you know, this company's bleeding money. I- I'm okay with that. You know, Uber, Amazon was bleeding money for many, many years. I'm okay with that, because what you're doing is you're investing in growth, right? And so the story the story goes, and it's, it's actually not an urban legend. I heard it from the man himself. Um, one of the first employees at Facebook, uh, approached Zuckerberg very 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 early on and said, "I know how to monetize." And Zuckerberg got up and wrote on the whiteboard, "Growth. We're not focused on monetization right now. When we have two and a half billion users, we'll monetize. For now, we're focused on growth. So I'm okay with that." And you know, again, I don't know where that specific point is because I think it, it differs per company, but you do reach a point you know, where, like you said, you you hit product market fit. You know that this is sticky. You know people love it. You know they're spending time in your product. You know that you're getting incredible feedback. You're gathering feedback. When you hit that point, that's when you need to get ready for the rocket ship or for the hockey stick, right? And again, at that point, you as the CEO need to be ready to learn and to grow because what you did till now is completely irrelevant to what you're going to do from now. Um, And again, you can replace yourself, but I'm not Uh, Personally, I think anybody who's built a company from zero to that point is more than capable of taking that company from that point to IPO, my opinion.
0: Yeah, listen, I'm with you. And obviously Silicon Valley is very much with that model for the most part, even when it's just there only raise 120 million and they've got enough to show for it. But that's I think that's more of an outlier than a commonality. So, okay, let's let's dig a little bit deeper into this kind of hockey stick growth, you know. However we define fast growth, we know that something's working. Now let's turn on you know, the, the jets, right? Let's turn on the rocket ship, let's get on, let's run. Of course, there are many different things you can do, many levers you can push, right? You can say, let's pour money into marketing. Let's hire uh, you know, more salespeople. Um, I don't know, let's uh, uh, do more uh, R&D, right? There's so many different things that you can do. So let's say out of the companies that you've advised, and you know, you've advised companies across many different industries, and you know very different personalities running those companies, what have you seen when it comes to companies that really do that hockey stick growth well? What what is the sequence of dead steps, if there is a formula? Perhaps there isn't.
1: First of all, I I, I regret using the word hockey stick because I don't believe in a hockey stick. I think that any CEO who expects a hockey stick or anybody who talks about a hockey stick is is just Downright lying. No startup has ever grown like a hockey stick. It's it's a roller coaster, and anybody who tells you otherwise is lying to you. Um, and I think you know. Listen, there's again, there's no right answer to your question. There's it very much depends on on uh, on, on the company. As a marketing guy, to me, I, I think that the foundation of everything, everything, at least everything in the marketing and sales and biz dev world, is the foundation of it all is content, right? I think that. You go to redbull.com and the word beverage is not on their website. They're not selling you a drink. They're jumping out of planes. And that's just one example. I think that the big brands have understood the power of content. And I don't, you know, whether it's a blog or a vlog or a podcast, I don't care. But industry content to establish thought leadership and authority in your space, to me, is the foundation of it all. And so once your company has hit that point and you're about to experience hyper growth, now is the time, in my opinion, to build the brand that will align with your product you know, oftentimes, as you know, startups fake it till they make it. They build a brand, but their product is not there yet. I'm talking the opposite. You build your product, you get growth, now build your brand to align with that product. To me, that's the most important thing. And I think that that fuels everything. You know, once you have content, PR is easier. Once you have content, business development is easier. Once you have content, SEO is easier. Once you you have content, fundraising is easier. Everything's easier because now you are a thought leader who produces content about the industry. If I want to know about AI and you're an AI company and you're writing articles every single day about AI. Well, guess what? If I'm looking to invest in you and I Google you and I see that you're all over the place, that to me, that illustrates the, the point that you are a leader and that's something that I want to invest in.
0: Yeah. I feel like uh, we're preaching uh, to each other's choirs here. You both produce <laughs> um, yeah. that's, that's great. I appreciate that. So there's a, there's one angle, you know, I'm, I'm always going back to, to one thing, which is, in a, in a way, my primary interest from an HR talent culture, just human perspective, right? When you talk about building companies that are fast growth, it's it's a very inexact science sometimes, again, because the vast majority of founders are not HR people and they've probably never had to recruit anybody or, you know, in Israel, it's maybe a little bit different animal because here, I don't know if you want to call it clicky, but essentially And you know this better than I do, when you go to the army, you have your army unit, there are certain army units which are especially almost predisposed to work in tech. They're already essentially, you know, product managers, for example, in like 8200, that's a military intelligence unit, right? That's maybe the biggest, you know, you, you know the numbers better than I do. Um, that's one of the units that produces a massive number of people that go into tech and start companies, and it's a vast ecosystem. Then, not just of workers, but also investors and builders, and that's that's very powerful stuff. Could you tell us a little bit about sort of how that looks in practice from your perspective?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the million-dollar question that the whole world is asking if, if I'm—and I'm not even—I'm not even exaggerating—is how did this country, Israel? which is smaller than New Jersey in literally the worst neighborhood on earth how did Israel become the superpower that is dominating every single sector of technology when I say every sector you'd have a really hard time finding a sector in which Israel is not a significant player We might not be number one but we're up there and so that's the million dollar question and so much literature has been written about it but at the end of the day there's no question I don't think anyone doubts the fact that the military t- plays a big role here because you know when my friends in New York are 18 they're going and partying when I'm 18, when I'm eight, i don't know what that was now <laughs> you hear that noise when I'm 18 I get an m16 and I have to like defend my friends and fight for my life you know and so you learn responsibility you learn maturity and you know that is of course magnified when you're in the intelligence unit that is just an innovative unit and you you're literally taught entrepreneurship the hard way right With life and death um, right. and so it's no surprise I think to anyone that so many entrepreneurs are born within the 8200 unit and by the way 8200 is just one example there are a lot of inf- intelligence units that produce all right so anyway as far as, as far as intelligence it's no surprise to anyone that, that it produces so many entrepreneurs and um you know the amazing thing about this ecosystem is that when you look at the numbers however you want to measure this ecosystem you want to look at capital invested you want to look at unicorns you want to look at you know innovative companies you want to look at impactful companies however you want to look at this ecosystem there's something extraordinary going on here and it's it's objectively remarkable and that's to me most exciting. Amazing.
0: Cool. Um, So, just one last question. This is something that I always want to know from everybody I speak to. But I think, again, because you have such a kind of holistic perspective on things, I would love to hear if you can share with us, kind of from your own life, from your own experience, um, any sort of tips around any of the four, maybe all four of the pillars that I mentioned, right? Anything that you do that is really helpful for health, bodily health. Number two is mental models or life skills, something that you really feel is has a tremendous impact on, on your life, something maybe you discovered. Number three is dealing with other people. I mean, that's 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 something very valuable that you can share with us, I'm sure. And of course, you know, anything around the conversation with God, anything is appreciated. Right.
1: So I'm going to put aside physical health because I'm a lazy bum and I don't exercise very much. Um, I'm going to put aside the mental exercises and I'll talk about the last two, people and God. Uh, I'll start with the last one. Um, I'm an observant Jew, and you know, when I started my career, I had two options, like everyone. Do I Hide it, and do I? Am I shame, ashamed of my religion, or am I proud of my religion? I said, you know what? Screw everyone. I'm like, this is my identity. This is who I am. And so, like you said before, I announce when I sign off for the Sabbath. I give Torah lessons, you know, to, to my followers. I I'm very, very um, transparent with my religiosity. Is that a word? I think that's a word. Uh, everyone knows that I'm an observant Jew, and that has not only has that not been an obstacle in my career. It's actually become part of my brand. So. You know, we all have struggles with our relationship with God and spirituality, and I'm no, you know, I'm, I'm the same like everyone else. But um, I think that talking to God, having conversations with God on a daily basis is mega, mega important because it puts you in, you know, in the right context. You get perspective of how small you are in reality. And so you, you learn to take things within perspective. As far as people, you know, I think I built my whole career on people. Uh, and I'll give you the trick. Here's the trick. Here's the hack. You ready? It's very simple. Instead of focusing on promoting yourself, promote others. That's it. Game over. Spend your time promoting others. Watch what happens. That's all I'm saying. Spend your time taking pictures with others, talking about how amazing they are, interviewing others, saying how amazing they are, writing blogs about other people, saying how amazing they are, writing lists about people, interviewing people. Give other people the stage. Watch what happens. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give you a spoiler. Do it and see what happens.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. So one, one last thing I just want to say, um, you know, for a marketer, you're someone who really does what he says and says what he does. And that's that's rare. It's not just about marketer, but as a human. So I really salute you for being a true mensch. You're someone that I look up to and I wish you tremendous success and uh, everything, everything with the other pillars as well. And, uh, I
1: appreciate that. The feeling is mutual and I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you today. And um, I'm following your career and seeing everything you're doing. And it's incredibly impressive.
0: Thank you, well, It's very much uh, mutual. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate you, brother. And uh, keep,
1: it, keep on. Sounds good. Take care.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Commander in Chief Podcast. To apply to be a guest on the show, head on over to CIC Media Group.com guest. CIC is in Commander in Chief. So that's CIC Media Group.com guest. These guys. Help us spread the word about the podcast and our mission on social media. We're cooking up something truly special over here, and we really need your help to spread the message. The reviews especially are huge for helping us grow and get the golden nuggets of wisdom from our world-class guests out into the world. Go on ahead, give us a review or rating on whichever platform you use to listen. Our mission at commander Richie chief Media is to help 100 million people around the world in the next 10 years to do their life's best work in the here and now through storytelling, educational media, thought leadership, consulting, corporate training, coaching, speaking, and authentic, high-quality writing, helping people to become their own Commanders-in-Chief. And before you go, please make sure to hit that subscribe button for us here at the Commander-in-Chief Podcast so that you can be the first to know when new episodes drop. Let's not be strangers, friend. Okay. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever you hang out. And, of course, if you want to learn more about our work and impact or just access some great content. We've got plenty of them. Head on over to CICMediaGroup.com. That's uh, CIC as in Commander-in-Chief, MediaGroup.com. Once more, this is Yuri Kruman, and thanks for listening.